2: broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day.
1: Asalaamu Alaikum and welcome to The Drive Time Show. And it's a Tuesday and it's wonderful to be here today and it's the normal time for till six, two hours. First hour we'll be talking about the economy. It's on your tip of your tongue all the time. You're probably having this conversation at work, at home, on the dinner table, even now probably with your children because you probably can't buy the things that you probably wanted, and I dare say it, Christmas is on its way and I'm probably, it's going to become as a conversation, that's going to affect many people. And then also, we'll be talking about cannabis. Cannabis has always been around, it's a discussion that again we've had in so many aspects, in so many ways, and this discussion keeps coming around, but actually you're seeing Germany now is thinking about making Cannabis Legal and then we'll be discussing that at various moments of the show today. But as always, if any of these two subjects interest you, by all means get in touch. Give us a call on 0208 687 7878 and I'll ask my colleagues to tell me what the social media handle is because joining with me today is Zakria and Saad. Welcome guys to this wonderful Drive Time show of two fantastic topics that we're covering today. So what's the number what's the, I've given a number what's the social media
0: aspect? Well um yeah. on social media um on the Instagram story we are asking a question to you and uh the the question is should recreational use of cannabis be legalized yeah. and uh, we have already some answers um so 29% said yes uh, but majority of them 71% has said no so far
1: Right, so. okay. Well, that that that's the kind of theme. I think we're probably going to be slightly biased in our conversations here. But obviously, if someone has a different opinion to that, please, and of those people who did say, yes, it should be legalized, you know, just give us a call and we'll talk about it. So Saad, what is the social media handle then? So the
3: social media handle for Twitter is Voice of Islam UK.
1: Yeah, good. And that's a common theme across all of our social media handles, but we do have a, a, a drive time one as well. But anyway, you know, let, let, let's get into this um, conversation and let's um, talk about this subject. We've got some amazing guests as well. We'll be talking to Sean Richards, who's an economist specialist, uh, as our first expert in this field. And we'll be talking to Chris Shaw. I mean, he's a regular contributor to our program and he's a market Consultant, and then we'll be talking to William Scott Lucas as well. He is uh, a professor of international politics at the University of Birmingham, again, um, an excellent contributor to the program. And as always, we'll introduce the other guests for our second part of the show. So let's get into this. I, you know, guys, I mentioned earlier that Germany is thinking about this idea of becoming the world's largest potential market for legally sold cannabis. I don't know, does that kind of, do you rub your hands and think, right, okay, there's some money to be made there, or is it, you think, what's going to happen to society? I mean, it's another drug that's going to become legal. Is this something that we really need right now in the way the world is coming? Because they're going to be joining Canada, aren't they, and California in legalising cannabis for recreational use. I Recreational use, as we kind of discussed earlier, it, it, it's just for your own personal use that you want to use it for your own personal entertainment. You're not selling it. You're not creating it. You're not doing anything. You just want to have it uh, for yourself. And, and obviously it's a drug that's illegal, so we do not condone that in any certain way. But it's something that you want to use as a recreational uh, thing like, like anything else. So, look, in, in coalition in agreement signed last November, all three-party governments led by the Chancellor, Olaf Scholz, and we're talking about Germany here as well, stated that its intention to make it legal to sell cannabis to adults for recreational purposes. And since then, you know, the government has become noticeably quieter on promises of a draft law in autumn because it's probably wondering how are we going to be able to actually introduce this as the legal analysis by the German Parliament's research service warned that the move to illegalize cannabis would contribute European regulations in more ways than others. So look guys, we're going to be talking um, about this uh, in the second hour and thank you very much for bringing that to my <laughs> attention, because That's actually funny. what we want to do is talk about the economy. So look, so why don't you give us a good introduction into the economy about raising the inflation rates? I mean...
3: It, yes, exactly. Like I was about to say, you're going for the second show beforehand. You were, I think, jumping into this Do you know, I earliest. just got
1: so excited because I know, you know, when, when um, Zekhne, you gave us the, the question on Instagram... Yeah. And you said the responses have already come in. I thought, right. Yeah, that That was the first. I mean, I think think on
0: Instagram, we're only asking the the question in regards to the second hour thing. But yeah. Uh, But yeah, so the first uh, hour. Okay, so So give us the introduction.
3: So, Anifa, the introduction to economy rising inflation rates. It has been reported that UK is one of the only G7 economy which has not been able to bounce back after the pandemic. In order to rejuvenate, This sinking economy, Liz Truss stepped in the office as Mm. our new Prime Minister in September and promised a new era for Britain. She announced her tax-cutting mini-budget, hoping to bring the economy back on its track. However, many were concerned about this newest mini-budget. According to some, it triggered the worst financial instability to threaten this country since 2008, all of which caused them to take a U-turn. And that's the small engines join us today. Yeah, no, I mean
1: it it is really worrying. I mean I don't know, Zachary, if you can feel that with this current rising inflation, have you made any changes to your own personal life in in worrying about it, or do you think it's just going to pass over and let the government deal with
0: it? I mean it's definitely worrying because uh, everyone is experiencing the the inflation and everything is becoming more expensive, Mm. uh, especially um after the governments have changed Um so nothing has uh, you know become better so it's getting worse and worse and worse so yeah. th- th- definitely there needs to be something happening uh, so if you just compare for the last decade everything has become more expensive yeah. uh fuel prices food groceries etc i mean pretty much everything is becoming uh difficult for everyone mm. so I mean, uh, yeah, this is what we are going to discuss today, yeah. isn't it? So, what so the I wanted to uh,
1: also ask, obviously we're going to be talking about the high inflation rate, but there is another aspect to our conversation that we're going to have is talking about the Islamic perspective, aren't we, Saad? Because yes. this is something that as a Muslim or a, a, a practicing Muslim who believes in faith in a strong way, there's also some trust in God Almighty here Indeed. as well.
3: So in chapter 2, Verse one hundred fifty six, Allah the Almighty states, "And we will try you with something of fear, and hunger, and lo- loss of wealth and lives and fruits, but give glad tidings to be the patient So Allah says, "He will try us with with the loss of wealth, but we have to be patient. You have to be patient and pray to Allah the Almighty. But as Allah Allah the Almighty says, "In ma sabirin, Allah is with those who are patient." So we should always have our trust. In Allah, and he will bring the best result out out for us. I'll tell you a small uh, incident I had. I bought a car a couple of weeks back, a month back now, and the gearbox went on it. It It's quite expensive gearbox, as you know. And uh, what happened is I got it done from someone else, not a a proper garage. Got it done cheap from somewhere else. And they said, okay, there's there's another part missing, which costs a grand plus. But now I'm like, okay, I'm already down £2,000 just to getting the gearbox fixed. There's not one grand to be spent on it. I was like, okay, I will I'll love it. Inshallah, make something with it. And mm. I've been getting calls f- from people and saying, okay, we want to buy your car as right. it is. And we'll give you a good amount of money for this. And then all of your um, money that you spent on it,
1: you could make more money and go and buy another car. Indeed. Is that because your intention was there that, okay, I bought this car But it's costing me a lot of money. What am I going to do now? And then
3: did you say, you know, God kind of get me out of this difficult situation? Yes, we we have to pray to Allah all the the time and be patient. And Allah has his ways with us. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting, this concept that we'll delve into. When we get
1: into later on and after speaking to our guests, I think it's important that we... um, talk about this and get this other angle in, in place and uh, use it as a, a way to understand what makes the Islamic kind of perspective uh, to someone who actually doesn't believe in religion and, and porn. So, Zakir, we've got our first guest, haven't
0: we? Yes, uh, so we have our first guest, uh, Sean Richards, uh, who is an economist specialised in inflation and monetary economic. Um, so uh, she's waiting to uh, be speaking to us. Um, assalamu alaikum peace be upon you and welcome to uh, the drive time show at voice of islam assalamu alaikum can you hear us
4: i can can you hear me
0: yes yes thank you um um thank you for joining us today yes we can um and and, and waiting uh to to speak to us so what are your thoughts in the mini budget um uh, is it the right approach uh you must have you know heard us uh um, and earlier as well that we are actually speaking about the uh, the economy, especially the economy of the UK and the rising inflation and the rates. So what are your thoughts on the mini-budget?
4: Well, there's quite a lot of ground to cover but I, I think that the starting point was that they had to do something about energy bills. What do I mean by that? It, it looked like that from the rise just gone at the beginning of this month that the typical bill was going to be three and a half thousand then january it was going to go four and a half thousand then next april five thousand so it was starting to look like it was out of control and this would have various things for a start people were going to be in the dark and the cold because they wouldn't be able to afford it Mm -hmm. and that's at the sort of basic human level if you move to other things then it was just going to collapse the economy Mm. because those that could pay it but then mostly not have much money for anything else, or at least less. So I think that starting point was a basic... Um, I think that we're seeing that confirmed, because, for example, we've seen Germany announce a 200 billion euro, not exactly the same, but along the same lines. Yeah. And this afternoon we've seen the Netherlands. Uh, people may not be aware, but the Netherlands has an inflation of 17%, 1.7%. So that's the sort of current high of countries around us. And they've announced a similar plan of capping rates for energy hmm. so i think that was fine in fact, in general i approve of that i don't see that there was any choice frankly in the way that i've just described otherwise you know things would be worse hmm. um the bits where they hit trouble more on one of it's related to my sphere um for those of that not hmm. aware the bank of england something i cover a lot and they had announced some plans To sell some of the bonds it bought, it has a lot. It has had about 840 billion, Um, and that, us then planning to borrow more, created trouble in some of the markets. Um, There were various impacts from that. I've been on this show before, and I've said that there are issues from the low interest rates we've had for so long. And one of the things that turned out to be was when interest rates and bond yields started rising. It put some pension funds in trouble they'd got so used to there being low interest rates that they just assumed that would carry on and thought oh well we can hedge that that doesn't matter it won't happen hmm. but unfortunately it did it made things worse in that area so that was one issue and then of course we had the panic in the pound now a week later that's over but nonetheless was an issue for a while so in a short period of time because, you know, it's only roughly 10 days ago, quite a lot's happened. Um, the bit that I would say I disagreed with, was I thought that the bit on bankers' bonuses and 45% tax rate cut at a time like this, I didn't think that was too wise. Hmm. So I think it's the best that the 45 pence rate thing's been removed.
0: Hmm. Okay, um, and, and what about the tax cuts? Um, as you know, the, uh, uh, what will the uh, implication of tax cuts in the long run be?
4: Well, hopefully the economy will grow. The problem we're facing looking forward is, and again, this is something that we haven't faced for a very long time, younger people listening to this will have no idea. And I don't mean to be patronizing to them. What I mean is they've lived through lives where this hasn't happened, whereby you have an economy that's slowing and looking like it might shrink. And then you've also got in high inflation at the same time and these things feed into each other people can't afford things they buy less That's someone else's income a bit lower and so you can get a downward spiral so that's the thing that we were facing and that's why they had the idea of sort of tax cuts to try and stop that Mm -hmm. now some of it was the reversing of a tax rise because the previous conservative government had raised national insurance
3: Mm.
4: and some of it was outright cuts for businesses and um, an income tax cut from next April. So again, that will take its time to feed in. And it's complicated in it's my line of work economics, and there's still a lot of debate over exactly what income, uh, excuse me, tax cuts have as a thing. Personally, I think they'll help. Hmm. Or they help in time. I'm
3: afraid no one really knows. So Sean, you know, regarding the tax cuts, all this is happening, is that this talk has been going on for a very long time. You see them every day in, in the news. But do you think if the government did uh, had laid better grounds before in introducing this mini-budget, would the situation be different?
4: I think it might have helped. I think for a start, they would discussed it with more people. They might not have done the 45p tax cut in the first place, because mm-hmm. I'm sure quite a few have said, do you think that's very clever? So okay. I think it, it would, it might have helped on that. Yeah. I think, and this is only surmised in my opinion here, I don't know. I think they thought that they was sort of clever doing it as, you know, a grand announcement Look what we can do, and it backfired. Okay.
3: Sean, now the scary question I have. Is inflation going to increase in the future?
4: Um, I'm hopeful that some of the things will start to decline because one of the real pressures we've seen is energy prices. Mm -hmm. And hopefully we can start to come to terms with that a little bit. And we could reorganize things. I mean, in certain areas, there have been big profits for companies. Like, for example, I know that people don't often say this, but the wind farms must be making a lot of money okay so for instance we could tax them and or at least get the prices reduced some of it we produce
1: um sh- sure thanks for answering those questions I, I i I had a couple um for myself as well I mean it, this um idea that where you Allow the rich people to keep their money and then to be able to spend it, and it comes down and trickles down. I mean, they refer to it as trickle down economic. Do, do you think that is the right way forward? Although, uh, quasi has changed his mind on the is it 40 45,000 um interest rate sorry, uh, tax rate uh, to be to, to be withdrawn to go back to how it was. Do you think this trickle down economic? Could work or does work?
4: Um, and elements of it. I mean, obviously, for those that they employ, it works. The danger is with that sort of thing is that you end up with a bit of a ghetto economy mm. where the money swirls around amongst the rich. Yeah. Um, I think that in the last decade, but in fact, a bit more now since the credit crunch, we've had quite a bit of that where we've seen asset price rises which benefit the rich and they've done quite well course, for the ordinary person, it's a lot harder, isn't it? Yeah. Because, for example, house prices go up, how do first time buyers buy yeah you know I don't know from which part um, everyone lives isn't it? I live in Battersea
1: mm.
4: so basically for young people, it's unaffordable, virtually everywhere around here
1: so do you think that the timing for their announcement with this was wrong? I mean at the end of the day, you say parts of it could work and other parts couldn't work, but do you think by them, maybe not have made those typical announcements and calling it a mini budget but actually should have just purely concentrated on the people who were less fortunate and helped them out first
4: Yeah, that's what I would have done
1: And this um, Bank of England although it's, ex- it's expected to increase the interest rates, you mentioned earlier about the young people in, are about to see how they can afford their new homes, or if they're able to. to how much of a impact do you think it will have on the long-term economy?
4: Well, I think in the situation with interest rates is changing very fast. Mm. I understand that people have heard on the media that things have gone up, and they have. Actually, the last couple of days, they're going back the other way. So it's a very fast-moving situation, things. A bit like the pound, there was a panic, and now things are settling down. To give you an example from the other side of the world, Um, the Reserve Bank of Australia this morning only raised interest rates by a quarter of a percent, whereas the benchmark for central banks had become more like three-quarters. So that's the first sign, maybe, of a turn. And I'm only saying maybe because it's one so far. We don't know what others are doing. So that that situation may not turn out to be as bad as people fear. I don't personally believe, it might be wrong, because of course things can change in future, but I never really believe that UK interest rates are going to 6%. I don't
1: think we can afford it for a start. You know, the. um, Yeah, okay, go ahead. I was just going to ask you about having high inflation rate, sometimes people call that there's confidence in the market, but is it the wrong people who are spending the money? Is, is that what's happening? Because obviously the people lower down the food chain don't have any money.
4: Well, that, I mean, that's one of the difficulties it? in there. Um, a lot of my work over the years has been against the fact we should avoid inflation for the reasons that we find it now. Yeah. Because as you just said, for some people... You know, it's a choice between eating or eating, isn't it? Yeah. And some things they cut, you know, and they're going out to buy their food shopping, they've got to leave something out, maybe two things, because they can't pay for it. Hmm. And um, that's the problem with inflation and why it's a danger and why we should avoid it. Unfortunately, that's where we are. Yeah. So we need to try and deal with it as best we can.
1: Yeah. I just feel knowing we've been in this crisis for so long now that the the mini-budget would favour the rich and it seems to me that they probably could have like you said earlier asked a few people rather than concentrate on giving the big announcement I'm sure many people would have told them that that a couple of the ideas were not the right idea anyway we'll, we'll leave it there Sean uh, I really appreciate your time on this and, and actually making it very easy for our listeners to understand the current situation rather than getting into too much detail uh, thanks for that appreciate that I hope so. Well, thank you for having me on your show. Oh, you're most welcome. That was Sean Richards, um, economist who specializes in inflation and monetary economics. I think that's quite interesting with what he was saying, yes. Sean. Um,
3: yeah, go Haneef, you know, with first-time buyers, yeah. you obviously, because I'm 25, right, so I count in those... Spring chicken. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> so if I wanted to buy a house in this age... Because I, I get a new job, and you have X amount of money, yeah. And when the interest rate rises to six percent, what what will happen with this? Because we are right now at four percent roughly, was four something, four point four five, I believe.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, like Sean was saying, it potentially could go up to six if 6%. not higher, but it depends in which industries you are. Some things like you know the fuel prices just went crazy today.
3: <laughs> today, I remember diesel from one pound. In, during pandemic time i put for one pound yeah. and now it's near two pound yeah it has tickled down a bit mm. the 180 mm. but it's still on, in the high ones yeah
1: um, and what about you um have, are you a house owner do you, have you thought about it because obviously you're also a spring chicken i mean i'm just looking at myself here Oh, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, I've,
0: I've never thought of you know buying a house because uh yeah with my profession as well so um, never thought of buying Uh, but you know the daily things that we uh, you know buy and 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 and, uh, you know for for example the car or or the petrol prices and the normal things right Mm -hmm. that's challenging for me i can imagine with uh uh, challenges when it comes to um uh, you know buying and 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 selling could be a, a different challenge yeah of course
1: well, I mean, I, I think Sean kind of covered quite a lot of our discussion didn't yes. me, in terms of um, the tax c- credit and, and this whole thing about trickle economics. And some people probably refer to it as Reaganism, um, Reaganomics as well, because that was his policy. Whereas um, Joe Biden said, didn't he, a little while ago, he's, he's sick of this uh, trickle down economics because it's proven that it hasn't worked. And that's why I was asking Sean. I mean, although he agreed to some of it. But he also agreed that it was the wrong timing. And this is the ch- difficulty I have with all of this mini budget, is that they didn't actually understand the people um, who needed the support should have been given them the support. Rather, it was given support to to the wrong, wrong people. Anyway, you know, the Chancellor still thinks um, he he has a plan. and um, But then we know about this latest U-turn, don't we, exactly?
0: Yeah, Um yeah. I mean, uh, the 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 new prime minister Liz Truss has, yeah. you know, admitted the there has been a disruption in the UK economy uh, following the mini budget.
1: I think it's a bit more than a disruption. Actually, I know she mm. refers to it as as a, as as a, a disruption, but disf- disf- well, actually, it's been a catastrophic disaster. Mm. And uh, Sean said it very lightly that the Bank of it. He didn't talk about the reason why the Bank of England had to step in hmm. and buy these bonds spending our taxpayers' money into the £65 million, uh, or um, well, a million or billion, I can't remember, someone have to correct me, but it was such a large amount of our money to prevent it from happening. So, hmm. yeah, go ahead. Sorry.
0: Yeah. And um, the British Prime Minister, Liz Truss, was, you know, basically forced on Monday uh, into a U-turn versing the tax cut as originally announced. Uh, the finance minister Kwasi Kwarteng, uh said after some lawmakers from the ruling conservative uh, party reacted with fury to uh, you know suggestions that public and welfare spending could be cut to fund tax cuts for the richest uh, well it's it's a benefit for the riches but for the majority of the the people it's it's a loss and and a huge uh, shock as well now they are planning to come up with a new course to revive the uh, revive the economy as well. So uh, yeah, this is this is basically uh, the latest U turn that yeah. they they're doing. Yeah.
3: So regarding this in the Holy Quran, on e- economy, it's it's stated in the world they acknowledge the rights of those who asked and those who cannot, uh, who could not who could not. So that's chapter fifty-one, verse twenty, which means the objectives of the Islamic economic system is to secure the widest and the most benefit distri- distribution of wealth through institutions set up by it and through moral exhaustions. Yes, and also I'm sorry, I'm cutting, I'm cutting short here. We have on hold Chris Shaw, and he is a regular guest with us on Voice of Islam. He is a market consultant with over two decades of broadcasting experience, specializing in PR, media relations, politics and economics. So with this short introduction, I would like to welcome Chris Shaw to the show. Assalamu Alaikum Warahmatullahi Wabarakatuh. Peace be upon you, Chris Shaw. How are you? Thank you very much indeed. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely fine. It's lovely to be back on your show once again. Thank you. Thank you. So Chris Shaw, the question I have today for you is the count the Chancellor said that the government wanted to turn the vicious cycle of st- stagnation into a virtuous cycle of growth. Do you see the prospect of growth in this mini budget? Well in, in, in
2: essence, I, I, I don't, I'm afraid and, and allow me allow me to explain, of course. Um, in an in, in economy like like ours, um, you know very, very much a, a market-based economy where where consumption is king. Um, economic prosperity is linked to that consumption. So the one thing that you don't do is make it either less appealing to consume or impossible for people to afford to be able to consume. So if you're a wealthy person with a a well-paid job, shall we say, the current Chancellor and Prime Minister are your friends. What they wanted to do was was to cut the the tax rates for the wealthiest people, the wealthiest group of people, literally the the top 0.1%. On the basis that this would enable someone um, on maybe annual earnings in excess of 150,000 a year yeah. to spend more, which would in turn boost the economy and hence stimulate economic growth. So the, the idea was was a trickle down principle. And if we if we look at the psychology behind that just for a moment, then you know sort of the, the the idea is that by giving them these people an average of an extra five to ten thousand pounds per annum in their pocket. Mm-hmm. um the, the problem is they won't suddenly decide to spend it in the local high street
3: okay
2: instead they'll tend to save it they don't need that money and to, to give you an idea the, the resolution foundation which is a, a think tank um said that the the tax cuts in the in the the mini budget um mean that next year somebody earning 200 thousand will gain five thousand a year yeah. which is equivalent to 2.6 percent pay, pay rise. Somebody earning a million pounds would be fifty five thousand pounds better off, which is five okay. and a half percent. Those on the twenty thousand pounds, which is which is you know, sort of many, many of many of our friends and colleagues that we that we meet day to day will gain just hundred and fifty seven pounds.
1: Okay. And and actually um, don't they really need that money, don't they? Or do they, you know? I mean, they've already got uh, millions and millions of pounds and it's nice for them to have a little bit more money. That's what I think QuasiQuantag <laughs> wanted to do in Liz trust. Don't worry, have some more money. Anyway, that was just um, showing a bit of I, my I, frustration, I I... sorry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I have to agree. I think that's a, a very, very, very strong observation. And, and getting back to the point, it doesn't sort of... Get our economy moving it's the lowest earners who get the economy right. moving hmm. so in, in fact I think it was it was actually President Biden in the United States a, a couple of weeks ago um, actually tweeted um, recently that trickle down the principle of trickle down just doesn't work right. he yes, said in right. contrast what we're doing in the United States is um, we are building an economy from the bottom up and the middle out, which is the way to do it
0: hmm. exactly hmm. Uh, what challenges will UK, uh, the financial markets see in the upcoming months?
2: Well, as, as, as I see, the, the, the financial markets um, in the last couple of weeks, they, they reacted so negatively to the Chancellor's fiscal event or mini-budget, whatever you want to call it, um, because they, they, they didn't expect him to cut the top rate of tax and they also felt that the economic thinking behind it was actually flawed. Um, the, the UK is pretty much at the bottom of the European leak table for high tax rates at forty-five percent, which is the current rate before he started fiddling. Denmark, for example, is at fifty-five point nine percent. Germany and France are both at forty-five. The Netherlands is at forty-nine and a half. So, in, in essence, the challenge to the to the markets is to keep a straight course and try not to, you know, sort of uh, allow the, the pound to slump to financial parity with the dollar or the euro and also for the stock markets to gain ground. And the problem that we've got is that that's against the backdrop of the UK economy being the, the worst performing out of all the G7 nations post-COVID. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. So they, the, 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 we, we've managed to avoid recession in the in the quarter up to June, uh, I mean, we, we grew by a, a barely noticeable 0.2% in the quarter. But we're still the only G7 country with a smaller economy than in early 2020 before COVID struck.
3: Mm. And
2: I, I would say the reason for that, and you probably guess what I'm going to say, the
1: reason for that is our old dear friend Brexit, which is holding us back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I also wanted to just pick your brain on, we always say that the United Kingdom is the sixth largest economy, but we have grown, like you said, um point i don't know two percent i mean a ridiculous amount compared to our neighbours, but it, is it only because all the wealth actually resides in 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 the top one percent of the most richest, and all the other people don't have the money because if we were the sixth largest economy, wouldn't we all have money to spend, regardless of who we were, where we lived, and how old we were, irrespective of our fortunes? That, that's a, a lovely
2: thought, and I, I think in, a, in a, a sensible economy, and I, I mentioned the Scandinavian countries, I mentioned Denmark a, a moment ago. The Scandinavian countries um, are wealthy countries, but they are much more equal, much more egalitarian. The, the wealth is, is distributed among more people, and that's really the, the function of the state to do that, because some people will be you know, some more able to, to generate revenue and money and savings than others will and it's up to the state to distribute it according to you know needs and abilities in mm. a sense it sounds a little bit marxist but uh, not really but um to to make it so that everybody has
1: a fair share and a fair slice and contributes to society in their own way yeah i mean i i'd, I'd, I'd... I know you mentioned about uh, Marxist uh, just then, but, but actually I think people don't consider it that way. I think people are just looking at it from a holistic approach and say, look, it's kind of obvious that all of our assets within our local boroughs have not been replenished. Our libraries are going. Our Swimming pools are disappearing. Our streets are not looking great in our local area, but you look at some areas, you think everything is still running pristine and social housing, mm-hmm. is is becoming deprived. So this whole concept of where majority of our people live and who, as you said earlier, consume therefore get the economy growing, um, is is obvious for people to see. So the question I asked them: Do you think? During this inflation moment, um, we had Sean on earlier said he probably won't reach to six percent, but do you think it's the right to introduce tax cuts right now
2: well I'm, I'm almost tempted to say it, it doesn't actually matter, right. but if, if you if you're me to explain I mean f- first of all we, we we should define what tax cuts are are being proposed and what were what were in the in the mini mini budget because yeah. some, some of um list and quasi policies are not really tax cuts they're simply reversing or not enacting what rishi sunak the former chancellor previously planned as tax increases yeah. so what they're saying is we're not going to increase national insurance which of course is a form of tax and also we're not increasing the corporation tax the the, the problem is in in a in, in in essence the tax cuts don't actually increase the money supply. They simply change who gets to make the spending decisions, if you see what I mean. They change the distribution of money. So while I'm all in favor of putting much more money into the pockets of those at the lowest of incomes, because they will spend it, and they will then get the economy working and fuel economic growth, I'd rather not see those who don't need to receive it actually get it, because all it does is exacerbate the divisions in our society. So, so very, very much I'm, I'm, I'm seeing that the, the inflation that we're, we're seeing at the moment in the UK, and by the way, we have um, worse rates than in other advanced countries, they're caused by, as much as anything, the fall in the value of sterling, and hence imported inflation for raw materials, for um, of components, for foodstuffs and so on, which, as much as anything, is caused by Brexit, again, and also by costly barriers to trade. Again, please step up Brexit. And also by our government's own decisions in terms of things such as energy prices and of course fueling inflation by making silly fiscal statements.
1: I mean there's so much more that I want to pick your brains on because when we talk about this distribution of wealth there's a clear distinction between the two the the government in power now and the and the opposition party in that the way they want to distribute the wealth and the way they want to invest where you um, have uh, list trust wanting to introduce fracking and and, and give more uh, licenses so uh, people can start generating um other energies which we'd be trying to walk away from uh, and whereas you have the other gu- other got gu- wanting to do a, a greener fairer kind of situation where they'll have also um, uh, the ability for people to have publicly owned, um, energy uh, company it's called I think the Great British Energy uh, So, it's, right. and also in that way the clear distinction is one is long term and no one ever has the time to give people the time and the other one is a short term which people need money in their pockets right away mm. in, in the long run what do you think is is the better option
2: well, I, I, I certainly feel that, that fossil fuels are undesirable for a variety of reasons, and the, the first reason, of course, is, is the, the, the pollution and the unpleasantness and the, the damage to the earth that they cause to our, our resources. But, but also, they're unpleasant not only fracking because it causes, you know, sort of earthquakes, earth tremors, and it also poisons the water supply with the, the chemicals that are used to frack the, the, the gas out of the, out of the, the bedrock but also it's hugely expensive and any investment in fracking by private limited companies would not bear fruit for quite a number of years it's far far you know sort of economically swifter and more sensible to invest in renewables that will give a far better you know sort of uh, leverage in terms of the investment and, and improvement of gdp and also it will benefit people's uh, people's um, you know sort of, costs and their, their um, the, the the money they are paying out in terms of in terms of fuel bills. Remember, for example that France um energy costs have only risen by four percent because EDF, Energy de France, um, is publicly owned and the government has decreed that they can't put the price up by more than four percent. Ours on the other hand will average it's not a price cap, list has got it wrong of course. Ours on the other hand will average two and a half thousand pounds from the start of this month until they take another hike in march
1: of
3: next year
2: hmm.
1: fantastic well uh, you know I, I i would agree with you on on, on so many a- a aspects and, and i understand that the challenges that the government has and and where it, where it is you know as l- long as we get all three all three working and all three you know the health of the economy the education of the economy and obviously those who are in the workforce paying their taxes so it, it it's all a combination. Getting that right is not an easy thing. Well, thank you very much uh, for your time today, Chris. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
2: I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh,
1: you're, you're most welcome. Uh, so, guys, that was Chris Shaw. He's uh, obviously one of our regular contributors to the uh, to the program, and he's a markets consultant with like, more than two decades. Uh, of experience and specializes in PR and in media relations and politics and economics. So it's great to get his perspective, um, which uh, was slightly different from Sean's, uh, Richard's perspective. But actually, w- we were talking about money, weren't we? The devolution of money and, yeah. and, and giving. And, but, and it was interesting how he said that the wealth should be uh, spread over the economy. That That's kind of like a, a bit of an Islamic perspective, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, when it comes to, for example, Zakat, uh zakat is basically uh a part of the pillars of islam where you know every uh everyone who is able to save up a, a certain amount of money which they don't use for a entire year they are meant to give 2.5% from it so let's say if this is you know implemented in a uh, in in a country right and everyone who's for example has a huge amount of you know, uh, uh, money in their bank account which they don't use, right? Uh, if that's been distributed just in one year, imagine how much wealth could be distributed to the poorer people. Because I'm, I'm pretty sure those people who can't buy or who can't, um, you know, who can't pay for the, for, 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 you know, for the essentials or for for the electricity bill or for the, yeah. uh, you know, heater, for example, right? I mean, they, they, you know, they can't afford it, right? But then when the implementation uh, implementation of Zakat has yeah. been done in, in just, just one year, right? So, so you
1: mentioned the word Zakat
0: yep. a couple of times.
1: That's one of the pillars of Islam, Well, that's right? one of the pillars of yeah. Islam.
0: So that's basically the, the meaning of Zakat is purifying yourself, right? So the excess money that you're not using, that, you know, you're purifying it, you're giving it out so that the poorer people, they can use it or that, could be used for the poorer people um, yeah I mean awesome. um, this is this is the best solution for right. for for poverty yeah. or, or uh, in inflation or any type of you know economic crisis
1: there's and another thing I want to talk to you about and Saad maybe you might be able to answer Well, what we do we're gonna talk to our uh, next guest anyway but it's this concept of interest obviously in Islam there is no interest and if you look back in the history of this country interest is, is relatively a new concept and when interest was introduced into this country the the Church of England at that time said they didn't want it because they didn't believe in this concept of interest they didn't th- thought it was the right thing but eventually it was brought in although they didn't want it and, and obviously today interest is not um, something that um, the Islamic faith actually promotes in any way. Um, but I'll be interested to get your thoughts on that. But, so, but just for that, I want to introduce our next guest who's been waiting is, is William Scott Lucas, who is a professor of international politics at the University of Birmingham and the founder of ea world view and uh, although professor is in birmingham it is also the place where the tory party conference is also taking place at the heart of politics which is probably exciting you very much professor so thank you very much for joining us today on the drive time show
5: Asalaamu
1: Alaikum, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you. Uh, Wa Alaikum uh, May peace be upon you as well. Uh, I'll just lead into my first question and then I'll let my co presenters ask you the others. Uh, some analysts predict that the current conditions will lead to a recession at the end of next year and the positive effects of tax cuts will have faded by the time of next year. It's a long-winded question, and it may take a bit of time to answer. But do you agree to that statement?
5: Well, here's the situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Briefly, even before the trust government came in, uh, we were on the verge of a recession this year, not next year, but this year. Um, We just barely escaped it because there was a, a very small bit of growth between April and June, but we're likely to have a negative growth. Uh, between now and September. And if we have another three months of negative growth, in other words, all the way through the end of the year, that's the definition of a recession. So there are some very important, you know, longstanding problems in the British economy that have been compounded by Brexit, which and the pandemic, which meant that a recession is possible. On your specific question, the trust Portang argument was, yeah. oh, to, to get out of recession, what we'll do is, is we'll cut taxes for the highest earners. Mm-hmm. And this trickle-down economics means that uh, people will spend money in the British economy, the wealthiest will spend their money in the British economy, and this will generate growth, and that's how we'll come out of recession. Not just some economists, but almost all economists will tell you that's a flawed argument, because when people at the top get tax cuts, and we saw this in the United States in the 1980s mm-hmm. during the Reagan years, they don't necessarily spend it on going down to the corner shops here in U.K. Mm-hmm. or buying goods and services from people that generate jobs and income. They might spend their money on buying things from overseas, you know, nice little goodies from the U.S. or from Asia, right? Yeah. Or they might just save their money. They might just put it away. And if they do that, you don't get that trickle-down effect. And so very quickly, when quasi Quartang in his mini-budget, his quasi-budget, um, announced these tax cuts, particularly the cut in top-rate tax from 45 to 40% as part of a growth agenda, not just economists, but the market itself said, no, that, that's not the way this works. We're not going to see growth out of this. Yeah. And that's part of the reason you had such an immediate reaction against that budget.
1: Yeah. I mean, I just before Saad comes and asks his next question, I mean, they called it a mini-budget, but in reality, it obviously wasn't a mini-budget with the um, comments that were made and, and what um, the Chancellor said was was it because this is a political question and i don't know the answer to this is it they called it a mini budget so the obr didn't need to have a look at it and could have told them actually what you're doing and what you're suggesting is probably not a good thing what all the economists did and actually they were told by the market when the value of the pound dropped anyway i mean is that a technical term why they never why they called it a mini budget and didn't have to call it a budget
5: You answered the question better than I could. They did it to to escape scrutiny by the Office for Budget Responsibility, which would have gone through the proposals. It would have costed them. It would have estimated how much growth you would have gotten. But equally important, it would have estimated whether the government could fund the tax cuts, which they can't. And to add one other piece of information alongside that, this lack of scrutiny by the O.B.R. was compounded because the chancellor and trust had fired the Trumps, uh, sorry, the Treasury's top specialist uh, when they took office. So your top person responsible for mm. scrutinizing the budget was gone from the Treasury. The O.B.R. wasn't brought in, and they could get away with all of this by saying, well, you know, it's not really a budget, even though it had these very, very uh, sweeping proposals.
3: Mm. So show, uh, William, sorry, so this mini-budget, right? Will it affect the housing market then?
5: Yes, and it it affects the housing market because of the effects of the budget. So if I could explain, when the budget was presented, or if you have to say mini-budget or Mm quasi-budget, the people immediately noticed, while you are losing tens of billions of pounds probably more than 40 billion of pounds in revenue very quickly. Wow. And when you lose 40 billion pounds of revenue, the government has to make it up from somewhere, yeah. right? Otherwise, it goes bankrupt. Yeah. So how does it do that? Well, the government has to borrow the money. Okay. When you borrow the money, let me just go one step further. When you borrow the money and go one step further, it drives up interest rates because there's more demand for borrowing. When you drive up interest rates, it makes it more difficult purchase a house because unless you can pay for it up front in cash, you have to borrow, which means two things. One is people who were already on mortgages would see the cost of those mortgages if they were not on a fixed rate go up by several hundred pounds per month and secondly, many mortgage providers were like, wait a minute, we might lose money right now on the interest rate we are charging Mm -hmm. Uh, and they withdrew their products from the market 40% of UK mortgage products Disappeared over the weekend after the budget was presented.
0: William, um, how does uh, how do you see the Bank of England's approach towards uh, the rising inflation?
5: Well, there's a, a general answer to that, and then there's a specific in light of the, you know the this mess that Truss and Horne caused. The general approach of the Bank of England, of course, was to try to limit the rise in inflation with gradual increases in the interest rate. Now, why do they do that? Because the worry here is is that if you begin to get the inflation rate edging upwards and upwards, well, it wasn't just going upwards and upwards. Because of the rise in our cost of living, especially our energy cost, the Bank of England was projecting a 13% inflation rate, the highest in 40 years, and rising to 18% by the end of the year. And so that's why they began raising interest rates gradually over the summer. Now, when this quasi-budget was presented, um, the effect of this with such an increase in what would be government borrowing meant that the interest rates would not have to be raised gradually. They would have to be raised quite significantly. And so this happens in two ways. One is, is that the Bank of England meets every so often to raise rates, to say it goes up a quarter of a percent or half a percent. But even before the Bank of England meets the markets predict where the interest rates are gonna go by through the bond market. And whereas our interest rates right now are around about two and a quarter percent, the estimate of the markets is is that unless there was something done to correct this mini budget, interest rates would be six percent yeah. by the end of this year.
1: Yeah. And that, that would have created even more t- turmoil. But we still don't know if that's going to happen, although the pound um, value is settling down. Well, Professor, thank you very much. And we are approaching the top of the hour. So, unfortunately, we'd love to talk to you some more. It's been a really roller coaster one hour. So I just want to say thank you very much for your time today and actually giving us a real clear... Um, Example and thought process for our listeners to understand this really complex situation. None of us are economists. So thank you very much uh, for your time, Professor.
5: Thank you. Peace to you and all your listeners.
1: Thank you very much. And may peace be upon you as well. So that's William Scott Lucas. Scott Lucas, Lucas, um, who is a professor of international politics at the university of birmingham and the founder of ea world some great analysis there but we've got quite a lot of things we just want to cover uh before we come to the end of the show
0: yeah um so one of the uh, as you know his holiness uh, as it helper, he um, basically wrote a book um, which is um, called world crisis and the pathway to mm. peace in fact it's a it's a compilation of speeches that he delivered um, addressing the economic situation and the restlessness caused by it. And he says that another principle that we have been taught for restoring peace in the world is not to uh, covetously eye the wealth of others. A- and he's referring it to, you know, uh, you know wealthier nations um, who are... Uh, You know, looking at the the wealth of others as well. And I think it could be implemented to a nation as well, right? Uh, When the wealthier people are using the wealth of the poorer people uh, in in one nation. And the Holy Quran, in regards to this, in Chapter 20 states, uh, God Almighty says that, And strain not thy eyes after what we have bestowed on some classes of them to enjoy for a short time, the splendor of the present world that we may try them theref- thereby now his holiness explains that greed for any envy of the wealth of others is a cause of increasing restlessness in the world yeah. and this is and this is a fact and we've, we 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 see it in the world as well so on a personal basis keeping up with the jones um, you know which is also <laughs> known as a phrase but you know you can you want to keep up yeah. with and and uh, uh, as the saying goes, he resulted in unending greed. In a, you know, you uh, know, this 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 thing has resulted uh, in a unending greed, and, and it destroys the peace of the society.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a topic we'll 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 come back to again and again. I mean, it's not going away, and I think we can probably um, give some more. Um, time to it as well but just before we do that we'll end this hour of show and we'll meet you on the other side of the hour here's the news
0: you are listening to the recording of a live show please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed الله اكبر
1: الله
3: اكبر اشهد ان لا
2: Listening to the voice of Islam radio
1: welcome back and thank you for staying with us for the second hour of the drive time show today on Tuesday the 4th of October God sad it's like near the end of the year we're in month 10 already yes honey I can't believe it I mean anyway, every time I come here and I say the date I think
3: this is years nearly over. It'll be 2023 soon. I mean, where has the time gone? Well, 2020 went with the pandemic. 2021, with, with, with that also went with the pandemic. Yeah. So that 22 was our basically our 2020 now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's right. Um, and obviously, you know, so many of the world international events also just, just left their... Um, Whatever it was and kept it the same date, although we'd moved on in the year as well, just as you explained. So, yeah, well, thank you for staying with us. This uh, next topic we're going to be talking about is quite controversial in many people's minds and uh, is actually quite simple in others because when you look at the facts and figures you can make up your own mind and it's really interesting to see what's happening with the results that uh, we asked the question on this subject and the subject that we're talking about today is the legalization of cannabis around the world and um, we'll talk about some of the countries that are thinking about it those that have already done it and those what are seeing the responses to the effects of making that decision. But the question that we've been asking on Instagram is that should the Recreational use of cannabis be legalized, and actually, it's a clear majority that it shouldn't be at the moment. But if throughout the discussion that we're having, a change of mind, let's see if that um, statistic changes from twenty-nine percent saying yes and seventy-one percent saying no. And let let's see what happens on there, because sad, uh, you know, Germany has been mulling over this. Um, this you know this idea of legalizing cannabis and it soon is going to become the world's largest potential market for legally sold cannabis i mean like i said earlier other countries like canada and california have been doing this as well and there's so much of this debate on whether the legalization of marijuana is beneficial or not is a very polarized one especially for someone like yourself who who meets an speaks to many people, many children, many families and, and being a responsible person in the community and obviously being a faith leader as well. I mean, you probably have experienced meeting people with understanding the consequences of this drug. So it'd be really good to get your perspective on that as well. And there are those who support it and those who are very strong and firm who definitely believe that it has helped them, especially through um, the medical side of things, and it's understanding what what is right, what is wrong, because it, I for me personally, I think it boils down to what my kind of faith describes Indeed. and what the, what the benefits are and how we can safeguard society. Um, but, but there's a lot more, uh, especially for medical reasons. We'll get into that in any way. But If you want to just give us an introduction for the argument for um, for it to be legalised, um and then we can get Zakaria to talk about the kind of against and then we can probably get into the, the debate
3: <laughs> you chose me for the for right? right for the yeah. pros. so <laughs> i just no. been to new york yeah. and you see the biggest shop there is uh, that's a weed shop just over there i think as as i told you beforehand yeah. that's where you chose, chose me for the fall
0: right <laughs> <laughs> exactly right <laughs> so, I didn't, uh, so it's it's legal in new york and in us i
3: don't know but it was a, there was a weed shop there
0: Yeah, no. I mean, it's being legalized in parts
1: of America, like like California. um, It's legalized in Canada. It's it's legalized more than nearly fifty, just under fifty percent of the people uh, take um, cannabis in in Canada, Hmm. and it's kind of like the norm. Uh, But obviously, there are some serious, strong arguments for it, right? Indeed,
3: um, one of the one of the arguments is there will be higher standards of safety if for the approach approach with the drugs and but governments would also benefit as they would be able to tackle down underground drug trades and while profiting from the sale uh, of the drugs according to guardian germany stands to reap significant economic benefits with an estimate annual domestic demands of 400 tons of cannabis 400 tons of cannabis right <laughs> and this is quite uh, a large amount. HUCAP institution predicts Germany stands to gain about 4.7 not million but billion euros so it's roughly about 4 billion Hmm. pound a year through um, additional tax intakes as well as cost savings from no longer prosecuting those who enjoy a two.
1: Yeah, I know. When you talk about those numbers of about four billion pounds, that's, that's kind of half the budget of our annual budget for the NHS. Well, you know? we, we, so it's quite a lot. So if you imagine the what you would personally get yeah. from that. And like it said earlier, like you mentioned this, you're not spending time prosecuting the police force and now concentrating on other types of drugs. You might have
3: people benefiting from it. But you know you can see why a country would be quite attracted to. As we was talking in the first hour about Ooh. economic crisis, that's an economic boost right there. If you if you keep being worse you then okay, that's an economic boost right there. Then
1: yeah, you know. th- that's exactly right. So it makes it a really compelling argument. But there are reasons against it, right? So
0: well, uh, there are who uh, <laughs> are against it, of course. Uh, those against legalization point out that marijuana is addictive, of course, as you know, and. Uh, like like oh and, and it's more addictive than uh just just uh, you know smoking a cigarette of mm. course and and the dependence on the drug would only increase with illegalization uh growing the drug is already bad for the environment so uh, but making it s- so easy to grow sell and distribute would also mean that um, children are exposed to it from a very uh, early age um desensitizing them to the harms and the addictive nature of the drugs. so if you you allow them uh if if you say that this is illegal this is a drug and you can use them then they're they're introduced in a earlier uh, age to drugs and maybe this could be a, a reason why they would you know try out other sorts of drugs as well i i have i had my you know, one of my best friends mm. uh in in, in uh, uh so one of my best friends I remember that um he was addicted to uh marijuana. He yeah. used to get it from Holland uh yeah. so the neighboring country of Belgium. So uh th- every weekend he used to drive down <laughs> and get it to UK uh to um to Belgium and yeah. he was very addictive and he of course, you know, someone who's addictive to, to something and uh, they also wanna try out different things because they have, you know, tasted, you know, the hallucination of, yeah. um, would you say halluc- halluc- hallucination, hallucination of for, yeah. for marijuana? Or, yeah. or being high. Uh, of course, they, they wanna try something which is more interesting. And yeah, my friend was affected by other sorts of drugs as well. So, you know, of course, I, uh, with my own experience with my with my best friends uh, you know of course we would never say that this is something which is uh, okay to legalise I mean it was not legal in UK uh, in, in Belgium back mm. in the days but still you know because it was legal in Holland uh, they used to go there and get it in an easy way and and, and consume it.
1: So when well, we talk about the financial benefits but we talk about the health, the emotion side of it, you know, it's, it's a very easy decision to decide what you think is right and what you think is, is, is wrong. But besides but th- there are some who start using cannabis at a young age, isn't yes. it? And especially when we know that um, there is by using it an increased use of developing mental health like schizophrenia. And some people who don't have that, sometimes develop it, and then it's hard to snap out of it. I mean, wh- in your experience,
3: wh- what are you seeing there? So, uh, Hanif, you know, mm. right now we have movies, dramas, serials coming out mm. which promote drugs as an open use, making it desensitive, des- desensitive right? So it's, like it's making a norm for everyone, saying, okay, you can use it, it won't affect you, but it does affect you in the long term it will give you a, a small high for the meantime and it will give you that kick to be in that social group of yours but on the long term it will affect your body it will affect your health it will um, cause some damages in, internally which you did you, which we do not know about until the doctor says okay you have this and this and that and you know when you talk about uh, all of these things i mean when you get families that have
1: a history of schizophrenia it must be so worrying for them as well, I mean, it's okay, You know, when you talk about young, young, young minds, the and this is a, a way in Islam as well. As as you, we have different kind of st- our structure of our organisation, our community. Is yeah. you have the youth, then you have um, slightly older youth, and then you have the, after the age of forty. Very structured organisation. Hmm. But this uh, research says that. The brain is not kind of developed by the age up until around twenty-five, mm-hmm. but if you then start using this recreational drug and it becomes legalized, how how does this affect someone who wants to have a a, a way of life with faith? Can, yeah. can they can they join the two together?
0: No, of course not. I mean, y- you see that a lot of people they might say that okay, this is. This is. I, I'm doing this, and 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 I'm also a Muslim, or whatever, right? Faith is something which is a, a personal thing, and uh, God knows the intentions better than than anyone else. Uh, but w- and and there are people who say that okay, I, you know, I am in the, I am a believer of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings <laughs> of Allah upon him, and and I am a a um, I'm a Muslim, but I also do this, 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 this. But they also they're honest that. This has nothing to do with Islam and it's against Islam. And similarly with any type of intoxication Mm. that intoxicates you, it makes you out of your senses is something which is not permissible in in, in Islam. For example, the Holy Prophet himself uh, said that if a large amount of anything causes intoxication, a small amount of it is prohibited. So he said, he used the word prohibited, which means you know, it's not allowed at all. So anyone who truly uh, understands faith and um, and they want to uh, practice their faith as well, right, then they have to be strict to their faith and they have to leave things which are not allowed.
1: Yeah. Uh, Saad, you might be able to all, also answer this oh, as well. Sorry,
3: I'm I was sorry about to say, you know, this yeah. hadith is mentioned in Sunan Ibn Majah. That's the w- um, number three, three nine, nine three and it, it talks about it c- categorically if you st- if a large amount is um forbidden uh, if it intoxicates you that uh, even the smallest amount is forbidden for you mm. simple words hmm. we c- we c- you can't go against it right you uh, even the holy quran says "Lā yeah uh, uh, yeah exactly so, 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 oh you oh you believers do not go to prayer when you're in the state of intoxication. Hmm. So you, you're not even allowed to pray in that state. So we have to be really careful when, we, when we're dealing with these people, obviously, and we should tell them, okay, this is, you have this issue, we should help them and guide them and get them the best help okay. they can get. So although it's forbidden,
1: categorically, but we know that God is most merciful and ever forgiving. Yes. And this is a personal relationship. We discuss this all the time on our program, don't yes. we, about mm. your relationship uh, that you have with your God Almighty and the struggle that you have. So say you have someone, like you're saying, who, and your friend is okay, who, who smokes uh, marijuana, but you, you're no judge, jury. Yep. God Almighty is the decision maker in whatever happens. But you... You have to just tell them what you believe and leave it up to to, up to them because religion like islam is not something that's forced down people it's your own personal choice Mm -hmm. and and this is where the difficulty happens right because one on one side islam is not a religion that forces people to do things that they don't want to do but on the other hand people have choice people have choice right yeah but how do you deal with that Uh, if someone approaches you you say well look i'm a I'm a practicing Muslim. I believe in God Almighty. I'm from an Abrahamic faith, but I struggle with it. How how would you help them?
0: Right. So, I I would say that um, um, when when you're struggling with something, you have to distance yourself from that thing. For example, when it comes to intoxication, when it comes to cannabis, then you should try not to go in such an environment where you, it's available to you. Right. Yeah, yeah. So and and the Holy Prophet peace and blessings <laughs> of Allah be upon him. Remember, in one of these, uh, uh, one of his sayings, he said that if you may want to make any improvement in your life, spirituality or anything, yeah. then you do it small by small, right. s- bit by bit, and then you look back what improvement you have done. Right. And when it comes to intoxication or something that is difficult for you to get rid of, then you should always stay away from from wherever you get it. Or, for example, if you have friends, you do it together, right? You just just make sure that you don't go. And if, for example, you have a buyer, you buy it from somewhere, just make sure that you don't go. And uh, as a Muslim, you know, God Almighty has given this option of tawbah, which is, uh, you know, repentance, right? And He says that it doesn't matter what sin you've made, as long as you truly ask for forgiveness with the intention. With a pure intention from the bottom of the heart that you will not do it again, right? Then it's, you know, for example, you do it and you repent as well and you say, God, please help me. I want to get rid of this. And then you definitely see a change in yourself. But then you need to put that effort as well for not. Going to the. (laughs) So
1: so that's a really good explanation and some great guide. Just before we speak to our next guest, say the Sophie Sophia Janud, who's waiting uh, to uh, just come online with us. But Sid, I wanted to ask you this question based on what Sakaria said: is that if you do go down that road of asking God for help, but you still smoke the drug, how at what point do you know that? your prayers have been answered What what's the kind of feedback that you get
3: well that's a really difficult question <laughs> you have given me right <laughs> look we as human beings are weak right yeah. we have our downfalls but if you pick up pick up ourselves again right and in one of the sayings it says if you put if you take one step towards Allah Allah will take two steps towards you mm. if you walk to him he will runs to you yeah. and that's the you have he himself has to take the first step in stopping it if he says, okay, I, I won't be doing this today and Allah will help him, okay, he's done, he's, he's put his input in, Allah will help him stop it. Yeah. First and, uh, and the next day comes, and he's like, okay, I've done it yesterday. I didn't do it yesterday, sorry. And today I won't do it again. Allah will help him again. Allah be, but you have to be patient.
0: Having, having trust in yourself you be, and yeah. in God Indeed.
3: In Allah is always with those who are patient. So i always been mentioning this verse, right? Cause I've been witnessing it. Yeah. You have to be patient, and you have to be faithful. So, Inna Ma Sabirin means that. Sh- surely surely Allah is with allows those who are patient. Patient, yeah. right? Okay,
1: and uh, that's a really good example. So, I'm going to press you again later. Of course, <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to take our first guest <laughs> who's waiting because I want to, uh, because this medical question keeps coming up. People yes. who are on chemo, people who, yeah. generally, uh, there is no medication for them that, in the world we know now, but um, other things like CPD can potentially help. So, what what's the perspective on that for Alison? So, but anyway, so I want to just introduce our next guest, who may, maybe she can answer the question as well that I I've just posed to you guys. Uh, I have got Sadar Sophia Janud who's a medical student at the University of Calgary, who's joining us today. Um, sister, thank you very much for joining us, and thank welcome to the Drive Time Show. family gone. Thank you very much. I mean, I'll ask you the first question, but I know my co-presenter has got lots of questions to ask you. But I want to ask that as the society becomes more and more decentralized with the use of drugs, you see it everywhere, and Saad mentioned it earlier as well, that you see it on TV, you see it on, on movies, you just talk about it in, in, in public as if it's kind of something that you do, especially when it comes to recreational drugs, and people seem to believe that its effects are nothing too serious. But as someone in your medical field, can you kind of refute this point of view surrounding marijuana, or do you still, or or do you think it's okay being a student yourself?
6: No, I think you're right. This is actually a very common perception nowadays. Um, and yes, while marijuana may not have the same intense craving as other drugs, uh, physical dependency does still develop. Um, And then the consequent social and psychological problems that come with substance dependency also occur in the same way. Um, But I think the scariest thing that I have recently learned about cannabis that I would really hope deters people from the mindset that, oh, marijuana doesn't have serious side effects, is that there is now plenty of evidence suggesting a link between long-term cannabis use and psychotic disorders like schizophrenia. So early and regular cannabis use can actually Unmasked conditions like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder mm-hmm. um, at an earlier age. And then on top of that, cannabis has known withdrawal symptoms, uh, which include things like anxiety, uh, loss of appetite, loss of sleep, depressed mood, uh, which I think also further refute this point of view,
3: hopefully. Mm. Interesting. Okay. So, do you know marijuana? Uh, what about marijuana as a gateway drug? Is there evidence of this being the case? Do you see people who begin with cannabis and end up on much harder drugs over time? Mm
6: -hmm. So there is undeniable evidence that most people who use what we call hard drugs have actually previously used marijuana.
4: Um, And
6: there's research that dates back to the 80s showing that majority of adolescent uh, cocaine users first used marijuana. So I'm not sure if there's a direct physiological causation between the use of marijuana and other illicit drugs, um, but it is argued that marijuana intoxication can lower your apprehension towards use of other drugs, or that once you develop tolerance to the once euphoric and relaxing effects of marijuana, uh, you'll seek the same effects from other drugs. And then another point that is really important to consider is that marijuana and other drugs, they share an illicit marker, uh, market, sorry. And I would argue that this is true despite legalization of cannabis, um, at least here in Canada. So now be it due to curiosity or the availability or even an accidental basing, I feel one is more likely to use other drugs if marijuana has been used.
3: Okay. So Sophia, let's say someone has become addict of marijuana or um, and is struggling with it, with um, going. To, um, without it on his day-to-day life is there hope for such a person or he re- is it difficult for him to, um, to quit um, these drugs
6: mm-hmm. um, so certain people are both genetically and environmentally predisposed towards substance use so addiction or actually the better term is substance use disorders they don't often come from mere recreational use in people who are otherwise psychologically healthy Uh, They more frequently come in people with backgrounds of trauma and abuse, poor coping skills, um, or environmental exposure to substance at a really early age. So having said that, many people who we would would say can't go about their day without marijuana use, not only do they have to overcome this addiction, Mm -hmm. but also all of these environmental factors that put them at risk in the first place. And then on the other hand, unlike alcohol and opioid use disorders, there is still no approved pharmacotherapy for cannabis use disorder, at least here in Canada. So yes, it can be really difficult. But the mainstay of treatment right now is behavioral therapy and psychosocial therapy, uh, which can take time. But it does help as long as the patient is motivated and the therapist uses the right approach.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, you also know that marijuana uh, is used for medical purposes as well. Especially, it's been given to patients um, in, in, in in states where it's not legal in all the as as a, a, in in the normal shops or drug shops. Um, but for medical purposes, it is. So, does it actually benefit patients to uh, whom it is prescribed, or you know, do we have any alternatives?
6: Def definitely. And maybe I shouldn't sound so convinced, um as there's still a lot of people who wouldn't agree, but personally, and from what I've heard and been taught, medicinal marijuana use is incredibly helpful in those who need it. Hmm. Um I think we need to keep in mind though that marijuana isn't being thrown around in the medical system; it's not you know prescribed to someone who comes in with a cold or a little fracture in their pinky finger. Um, And it's almost never used as first-line therapy. Mm -hmm. So after standard therapies have failed, marijuana use is... So marijuana is being used in chronic illnesses, in diseases of the nervous system like ALS and multiple sclerosis, or even to treat terrible side effects that come with cancer treatment uh, and chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. So, um, yes, it definitely benefits many to whom it's prescribed.
1: Mm -hmm. It's really interesting that you talk about um, who should be prescribed it, because I think I mentioned that just before you came on um, as our guest. So so you're okay then for it to be prescribed for somebody who, say, is going through chemo and the effects of chemo and the pain that they go through. And what, you know, after, uh, thank God I've not been through, but I know very many people and very close to me who have been through chemo. Uh, after a chemo session, they are completely depleted and just have so much pain I mean that's an acceptable thing one from the medical side of things and I don't know your faith either but is that something that on the faith basis you'd be acceptable to as well
6: right yeah I was having this discussion actually with my with my father and we were talking about how even alcohol um, has been historically used, um, you know, in end-of-life care or in chronic pain. Um, and so I think even from the faith side of things, right, so this isn't being used as a recreational drug. This isn't being used for its euphoric effects. It's being used in people who don't have another option. Um, you know, all the mainstay therapies have been tried and failed. So at this point, you're just trying to give them what we'd call palliative care, right, or end-of-life care, or... Yeah all of your options have been exhausted, so you just want to alleviate that pain. Um, And so I believe, even from a faith perspective, and yes, I'm an empty Muslim, um, I I don't see why this would not be an option.
1: Okay, so I'll just press you once more then, because you talked about this uh, predisposed, for example. Um, Mm -hmm. So if you had someone who had a family member who had to take it for medical reasons, and they recovered, they felt better, and they used it. Do you think then they would be influenced later on in their life to maybe take it up? Or is there very different in terms of a recreational drug uh, to, to something that's like a hardcore drug? Um, how does that work? I mean, are we drawing a line at that moment? And is that the right line to draw? Mm-hmm.
6: Yeah, I think that'd be a fair thing to say. Uh, like like we talked about earlier, right? There, there's a line between medicinal use and recreational use. Um, do we see people who stay on it, um, you know, after maybe their illness has subsided or treatment has subsided? Yes, maybe. And again, like you said, that's maybe where we're crossing the line. But if we stick strictly to the side of medicinal use and it being prescribed for that purpose, um, yes, all good. Uh, using it after that, and for what purpose, again, is it recreational or not? I think that's a whole other
4: conversation.
1: Yeah, okay, and uh, just before I let you go, um, Mm -hmm. Germany is thinking about taking it on, and they're thinking about making four billion pounds. Would you welcome that kind of money into the NHS? I know you're from um, Canada, but if we had that Mm -hmm. moment, we could get four billion pounds thrown into the NHS, would you think Mm -hmm. that as a stronger, valid argument?
6: that that was kind of the argument uh, when when Canada legalized cannabis as well. So it's that you know you take it out of you take it off the street and you bring money into the economy and, and stuff like that. I mean, if that money actually goes into the NHS, sure. But at the same time, I think it's really important that before things like this are legalized, that you really um, you know you seek. Um, the the perspective and uh, from doctors as well. So I feel like psychiatrists should be asked this question actually, um, and that happened in Canada as well. Uh, and just you know, this the the Canadian psych, uh, psychiatric association, you know, they put forward a whole bunch of things about how. Candidates below the age of 21 shouldn't be allowed and they should be limited access and the THC content should be regulated. And unfortunately, none of these things were actually like listened to. And I feel like that has its own side effects on the medical system as well. So, yeah, maybe you'll bring $4 billion into the NHS or into your economy. But are you then going to, you know, exhaust your resources because so many more people are coming in with psychosis or withdrawals or dependencies? So um, it's
1: definitely important to look at both sides before uh,
6: before yeah.
1: you just step into something. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you very much uh, for that answer. And then I think as as we move forward, there will be statistics that will either back the argument or refute the mm-hmm. argument um, as we move forward. Sure. Because there are some stats that kind of show that people are now moving away from dealing with the illegal and and the people who are obviously don't have your best interest. Well, thank you very much uh, for your time today. Really appreciate it. You're welcome, in Exactly. Thank you very much. That was, uh, say, the Sophia Janood, medical student at the University of Calgary in Canada. So that that was a really good conversation there. And, you know, when we start talking about this, the society is important, right? Saad? Yes. This is one thing that people can't put a value on it. We, we're talking about this £4 billion or 4.9, whatever it is, euros. Uh, it's it's a lot of money, but actually how much of that is is more related to the social value or we
3: need the money? Where's the balance there? Hanif, you know, money is, if you put money aside, right, for, for one second. Okay. With families, if you put families and you give them drugs, uh, in low incomes especially, mm. and they become addicted to it, you're already ruining that society who were able to come out of it and pr- produce that same amount of money in, in the future for you right those four million you have them for that x um, x amount of time but if you uh, nurture these people youngsters especially who are into drugs nowadays because it's, it's, it's socially okay for them their the friends are doing it you see them okay movies are showing them that's fine you can do it there's no effects on them if you nurture these people and the youngsters especially they will provide you those $4 billions in, the, uh, in, uh, in the latter days. Yeah. And, and with that, sorry, I'm cutting you here no, again. No, 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 go ahead. When they get married and they have children, those children will also be not addicted to these kind of drugs. Yeah. They'll be better off because their parents were better off.
1: So, uh, okay, I'll ask you a similar question. But back in the day when Islam was first established, I think we discussed this before, didn't we, about drinking. Yeah, drinking is very similar similar traits. Yes. Um, whereas people who now in this country start taking cannabis, what they're not doing is drinking because mm-hmm. they're getting their their kick, whatever it is, or their their um, allevement, whatever they need. But this advice was given back at the beginning of Islam, and I'll just caveat that with also please answer. But smoking is something. Would that have been? prohibited as well if smoking was there back in the time as well
0: well um as you know just to give a background on uh the prohibition of of um of of drinking yeah um you know before this commandment came uh um from god almighty to the holy prophet peace and blessings of be upon him um of course the companions there were because it was a, a norm it was a habit of everyone to drink and that was you know like 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 you know you would say it's it's in the in the western society drinking is very common right so it was very common in in uh, arabia and uh and of course the, the companions they were one on one side they had the faith right so every commandment that comes from god almighty through the holy prophet they would obey immediately so not just drinking, but when the commandment came and they came to know through another companion, not directly from the Holy Prophet, uh, and and someone said that this commandment has come, and uh, and and the Holy Prophet peace and blessings Allah be upon him has said that God has prohibited, uh, drinking, right? At that moment, the companions, I I forgot which companion exactly. Saad, maybe you could, you know. So there was a companion who mm-hmm. ba- basically. Broke all the vessels of 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 wine or, or alcohol, right, and immediately all the companions they stopped drinking, right. So this was, th- this was a situation yeah. with the commandment, yeah. and 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 as you know that we as Ahmadi Muslims we believe in the Messiah, uh, Hazrat Miza Ghulam Ahmed, may Allah be pleased with him, as the uh, reformer of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings uh, of the reformer of Islam who was prophesied by the Holy Prophet peace and blessings Allah be upon him now as as uh, Muslims, we believe that he came you know uh, uh, in uh, with the same um, qualities as Jesus and we believe that Jesus has already passed away and the person who would have had to come has already come in the form of, of the promised Messiah he uh, once said that Someone who does hookah, um, um, the hookah the is in the, in the shisha, 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 the shisha right? Shisha, yeah. So s- someone who does shisha, angels don't come near him. So this is something which was told, you know, which he guided the uh, the believers or or, or, or the Ahmadis or his yeah. followers, right? So I believe that the Imam of the time or the uh if he has said that, then something this is this might be something which is yeah. which we, you know, then we think, OK, if you're doing this, this is harmful. But it is not been said that it is prohibited, of course. Yeah. But of course, in that state, uh angels won't come to you. Yeah.
1: Uh, but it's, it's that question of choice, isn't it? It's we, it's a question we, we of we choice, have a, of course, yeah. We have a, a choice if you're a believer, you believe a strong faith. So we're going to be talking to our next guest uh, shortly, but just before we do that, I wanted to just get some kind of statistics or just because we... Obviously, Germany's thinking about it. Canada has been at it for quite some time. And if you look at some of the statistics, they they say that nearly half of the people in Canada have reporting to have been used at some point in their life, cannabis. And in 2018, Canada became the second country in the world to legalize it. It legalized its sale, having it on your pocket, you know, having it in possession, and non-medical use uh, by adults, and then which then followed by the legalization of cannabis for medical purposes. So for, it's been like that now for nearly two, two decades, And it's been understanding there's some statistics there as well. Because one of the goals of the legalisation was to eliminate of the cannabis of the black illegal market. That was one of the reasons why and then keeping the profits from criminals and organised crime. And there is some evidence that may be working here as more Canadians report that cannabis that's legally been consumed in 2010... Uh, is kind of less than in 2018 and 2019 and so it seems to be having a very small effect or or an effect and but then there are also other products that are associated with the risks and as different modes of consumption start coming about and the availability of it is a lot more Hmm. and um, that's the other side of it once you make it legalized and other people start coming up with new ideas and this is what they're finding as well and This can then determine the person's health as well. so, as I said earlier to our previous guests say that that there will be more statistics. We get a lot more understanding as to the effects of it. We know the damaging effects, Hmm. not only of alcohol and smoking. And now, I mean, you can get cigarettes where it categorically says on on the cigarette, doesn't it, that this will be harmful to you and it could cause Um, cancer and it's uh, carcinogenic. So, you know, there are these things that will will happen. So what we'll do now is we'll talk to our next guest um, because I wanted to talk to um, Dario Sabagi and uh, he's a freelance journalist uh, interested in the Middle East politics and The cannabis industry and he writes for several international news media organisations including Forbes and covers the cannabis market across the world with a focus on Europe and one of the cannabis acts of Canada which we'll, we'll press him on has had three public health goals which we've kind of discussed with earlier and that was to keep it out of the hands of the youth and to keep the profits out of pockets for criminals and then to protect the public health and safety by allowing adults access to legal cannabis because we know we spoke about the different types of cannabis out there but so welcome to the drive time show and thank you very much uh, for joining us today uh, Dario Sabagi, thank you welcome. for having me. Uh, you, you're most welcome. So we wanted to just ask you a couple of questions, and I'll start off with the first one, and then my, uh, my co-presenters will ask you less, uh, the less the next one. So if we dive into each of these uh, a little bit of what I mentioned earlier about the um, goals of, of what it, what it did, the legalization whether it's in Canada or now that Germany are thinking about or anywhere else do you think that it kept cannabis out of the hands of the youth
7: so um, my short answer is not uh, it won't do this effect on the on youth consumption in short and medium terms uh, one of the first reason is that, uh, cannabis legislation is only for adult, uh, consumers. Uh, therefore, uh, young people will be ex- excluded from, from the legislation and, uh, they won't be allowed to consume cannabis from, <coughs> from the legal market. Um, the uh, this situation, there will be uh, will open a scenario where the illegal market will tend to monopolize the supply uh, for uh, young people under eighteen. This depends from uh, whether if you live in Canada, Europe, or uh, U.S. And uh, so, if we keep uh, taking consideration that uh, Canada has population, for example, thirty-eight million people, and about ten percent that are a uh, consumer of cannabis from that 10% about 17% are uh, young people between between 15 and 17 years old yeah. which are about uh, 500,000 uh, young people uh, so the situation is not much different from uh, all other country uh, other as well and um, some legalization policies are trying to uh, use part of their revenue to invest in education and prevention of cannabis use from uh, young people under eighteen, explaining the risk and distract them from
0: from use
7: of cannabis. But we could have uh, we could see some effects in uh, in the long term run. Uh, but at the moment, um, no, uh, it's not going to keep cannabis out of the hands of youth.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Do you think it'll kick hand uh, kick it out of the profits of the criminals?
7: sure. And so uh, in the uh, in this situation the legal market is not going to disappear overnight. Uh because it, it built like an existing uh, competitive system over the decades while the governments over around a war starting from the US pursued a war and drugs policy to contain and fight back the legal drugs uh drugs crime. So uh, the illegal market we see in the US for example uh still tries uh, and they continue to sell illegal products, and uh, the same is happening in Canada. Although the legal market is uh, have started to uh, erode uh, uh, the sale of uh, from uh, the sale of people from the illegal market, and and in the United States, there are like uh, for example in California, there is a scenario where our and uh, legal dispensaries uh, and license uh, dispensary and uh, the black market and uh, they are trying to coexist together but at the same time the various uh, government are not trying to push harder uh, if not they will come back to a situation where there would be uh, uh, uh war on drugs policies mm.
0: does legalization of cannabis actually you know make it safer for the public or is it something which is not safer
7: uh, for, for the, uh, to answer your question uh, we have to take in consideration that um, public health is one of the major reasons that a country should take in consideration when legalise cannabis uh, be, uh, because of uh, of course some people are concerned with the negative uh, negative effects on the on public health especially regarding the use. If we have like a cost-benefit analysis about so the legalization of cannabis, this is it going to improve uh, public health in different ways. Such, uh, for example, uh, we can uh, produce cannabis for, as an alternative to opioid, uh, to use cannabis for cannabis research, etc. And also, legal cannabis uh, contains fungi, bacteria, mold, and the other contaminants. Instead, in a legal cannabis market, um, cannabis products are uh, sold sold in dispensaries and have to respect uh, certain rules to guarantee uh, the quality of uh, products. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also in Canada, some months ago, I read an article where uh, the New England Terminal Medicine and the they were mostly hospitalized in Canada because they were fortunate. From cannabis edibles legalized uh, like uh, last year, for example, so um, parents uh, should take, uh, should keep attention kids when they uh, when they are uh, near the cannabis products, and that's up to the uh, parents to to deal with that as well.
3: Yes, Dario, you know, the University of Toronto just did a uh, study recently and found out black and indigenous people and women are vastly underrepresented in leadership positions in the Canadian cannabis industry when compared to their representation in the general population. But on the other hand, we see white men are way overrepresented. The cannabis industry is quite lucrative, even here in the Europe, and one could argue that cannabis. Uh, Findings. uh, One could argue, if if you if you use those findings from Canada, could they be applied here also? What are your thoughts regarding this injustice and leaving everything apart outside, um, else that comes with legalization of cannabis? So,
7: um, United States and Canada uh, have the war on drugs. In the United States and Canada, have showed us that restrictive restrictive policies on cannabis. Uh, target, specifically minorities. Uh, for, for example, in the uh, U.S., African-Americans are arrested for uh, the Latin marijuana possession laws. There, there were like four times more than uh, than whites. Uh, but even uh, as you said in your question, uh, uh, legal cannabis uh, states Minorities struggle to enter the legal industry. Mm -hmm. For example, there was like um, business insider survey uh, that showed that uh, in the US, uh, men uh, comprise seventy percent on top of the executives of the 14 largest uh, publicly traded cannabis companies, both in the United States and uh, Canada, and. Uh, also in uh, Canada, uh, about 80, uh, 80% of the cannabis industry leaders were white, and 16% were non-white. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. in this context, social equity is uh, one of the most important pillars for the, for the cannabis uh, legalization uh, policies. And along with, you know, public health, as I mentioned before, and tax revenue, and but. You know the industry suffers from from the same dynamic of other industry uh, where minority groups are often disadvantaged from entering to any industry. Uh, at the moment, I, I could say that New York State, uh, which became the 15th uh, the US uh, state to legalize cannabis in 2021, okay. is implementing its increasingly new of social-related people and they're uh, doing this uh,
1: good job. Okay, well, thank you very much uh, for that that that's really interesting. Uh, I mean you've you've got so much going on. I mean you talk a lot about Europe here, and that's where our conversation has kind of been. I mean, is there a big problem in the Middle East with this as well?
7: Well, in Middle East, the situation is, uh, is much more complicated and fragmented. No country has uh, <laughs> legalized cannabis for recreational use, of course. But there are some countries that uh, legalize cannabis for yeah. medical, uh, yeah. for medical purposes. For example, one of the first uh, Arab country to legalize cannabis for, uh, for medical cannabis was uh, Lebanon in uh, twenty. Uh, yeah in 2020, okay. to to contain the
1: economic crisis. Right. So what uh, we we'll do... But
7: also Morocco, here.
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll probably pick this up at another time because we're reaching at the top of the hour. I just want to say thank you very much for your insight into this subject for us. It's been great. Thank you very much, Dario. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank, oh, we will. Thank. And same to you as well. Uh, may peace be upon you. Because that was uh, Dario Sabagi, I mean, freelance journalist and lots of interest in the Middle East and Europe and talks about cannabis. So, I mean, it's it's um, just an ending, then, this conversation. So we we got that poll going out. Mm. Uh, it, it's still very similar
3: in its results. Yeah. It's D- definitely. So, so, Hanif and Zakaria, do you know when Dario mentioned, uh, when you asked the question about yeah. youth, how could you r- keep it away from them? Yeah. You can't. That is the most dangerous thing. If it's illegal, it's still quite far from them, right? But if you make it legal, they can. The, if if the parents are using it, they can just grab a spit from there and and um, smoke it outside, isn't it? Because oh. when I was in uh, what's called not pr- a secondary school, year yeah. seven, year eight, yeah. a, a a kid who, who was like merely fourteen or fifteen years old, he in. Because cigarettes are legal nowadays, he was smoking, hmm. and he said, "Oh, I scored it from my father's. I just took took a small handful from there and I'm smoking it. He's 15
1: years old, yeah. and he's doing it. That's the issue we have, though. I mean, with this, you know, if your elders are doing it, you're going to follow suit. You know, oh. you don't realize how important it is. I mean, we are now at the end, but I just wanted to finish off with this this subject. Um, a quote from the promised Messiah.
0: Yeah, uh, the promised Messiah uh, cautions us and reminds us uh, that uh, not only do intoxicants cause harm physically uh, to our bodies, but they also take a toll on our spirituality as well. So it's not something which is uh, a, a an effect, a bad effect outside, but inside as well. And he states that all those wealthy persons who consume alcohol also carry the sins of people who intoxicate themselves under their influence. You who claim to possess understanding know that this world is not eternal, so take hold of yourself, enchew all immoderation and abstain from every type of intoxication. It is not alcohol alone that ruins a person. Opium, ganja, uh, sharis, bhang, darhi and all other addictions are similarly destructive. They ruin the mind and destroy lives. So shun all such substance, substances. I cannot understand why one would choose to indulge in these intoxicants when year on year they claim the lives of thousands of addicts, not to mention the torment of the hereafter. Yeah. So um, I would like to you know, thank our producers as well, uh, they've been working very hard on um on on uh, our shows as well um Faryal Nasser, Sana Nadeem and Nabahet Neira as well and and of course we would also like to you know you know sum up of uh, the uh, the the topics that we have uh, discussed today isn't it Yeah um, that's
1: right I mean we that, wanted to ask you guys we've done two topics they are related in a way but yeah. what would you like your reflections are on the two topics that we've covered today.
0: Yeah, well, both of them are very essential for our um and very important topics of course, and especially it is connected with our lives um when it comes to the economy and inflation. Um and and hopefully we will find a solution to the problems of uh um the the rising of the inflation and 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 of course the uh legalization of cannabis or um it's, it's something which you know some of the governments they might think that it is okay um but you know if it's available to the people right if you make it available you know you people will be using it and which will be a, a problem for the society of course yeah and the the more restricted you make to get something right the easier oh oh the more difficult it will be for you know the society to get it, and lesser people I guess I think will be influenced of it. I think so
1: Sometimes it helps having a law, and it gives the parents the support they need to get their children not to do things. What about you son
3: so Hanif you know both topics were very essential; they are spoken day and day about economics and about drugs in. And what the best thing for economics is we have to take measures uh, we should have to, what's called we should take some steps beforehand before announcing anything, right? And but the best thing is and also uh what Allah the Almighty has said okay, uh he will tell yeah, what's called um in English I'll I'll tell you a translation, we will try you with something of fear and hunger mm. and loss of wealth and lives and fruits, but give glad tidings to the patient, so we have to be patient, have trust in Allah, and follow and uh, follow the path towards Him. And with cannabis and drugs, especially, we need to be patient, and yeah. we should help those people out in any way, or f- shape, or form. We we can do it. We should go out to them, speak to them. If it, it doesn't matter if it's a one minute, uh, but become their friends, right, and then slowly and steadily, we can take them off those tracks.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I think. Both these two subjects are really poignant with the way people are feeling today. And I think you both kind of covered the aspects of fulfilling the rights of God's creations at the end of the day. We're on this earth to serve humanity as well as uh, worship God Almighty. And how do you do it, especially when we look at the economic situation? I mean, the one thing that I noticed during COVID is that where we had a situation where people became really desperate, and the government didn't know what to do They're at loss. Who stepped in? Yes. It, it, it was the, uh, the goodness of people. It were the churches, the synagogues. It was the Gudawaras, the temples, the mosques that, that took, took on that uh, approach to try and improve the lives of people. So mm. these are the kind of topics that we see where we mention that we have the facts and figures, but there's always this gel in between everything that where we get our guidance from our spiritual leaders. Yeah that tell us actually, you know, th- there is trust in in, in a higher purpose hmm. that will help guide us and, and do things better. And I mean, that's the only thing that we try and do on the Voice of Islam radio is to give a different perspective, but obviously talk, you know, normal common sense, because we're all the same. We've got the same challenges. Well, anyway, thanks for that, guys. I think it was uh, a really good reflection. and just want to say thanks to our guests who came in, are on the first hour, Sean, uh, Darian, in the second, and then also Sean, Chris, and uh, Professor Williams. Um, so it's fantastic. So here you go. Here's news, and thank you.